Hi, I'm Alex Asher, the CEO of LearnCube and the host of the Get More Students podcast. On today's episode, this is actually a recording from a webinar that I did for the Education Marketing Collective. I did this with a great friend of mine, Corinne Algie. She's got a, a wonderful service there as well. But what we're really looking at is how AI is developing, how it's impacting language education, and how it's impacting marketing of language education. So let's get started. Now, today we are joined by a very special guest. We're joined by Alex Asher, who is a fellow Kiwi, which I'm always very excited about. Alex is the CEO of LearnCube, and LearnCube specializes in virtual classrooms and scheduling software, and it's made specifically for the language education industry. So if you're interested in that, make sure that you uh, note down his website at the end and take a, have, take a look at that. Also, and what's very exciting, and I've had the pleasure of reading this book, Alex is a co-author of a brand new LangTech book, which looks precisely at things like technology and language, including AI, and all those other fun bits and pieces that go along with it. And Alex has also developed with Brian, his co-author, a very important framework. So without further ado, Alex, I'm going to hand it over. I wanted to touch on AI in general for those, and I've done some talks with companies from Inlingua to International House, and there's still a lot of uncertainty about what AI is. So I'm going to start there. It's going to be fairly like starting from the bare bones to begin with. We're going to build up to how AI in particular can help you from a marketing perspective, how I apply it to my business LearnCube and what I've learned so far. And I hope that you can enjoy this process with me. So why do we even care about what's happening in AI and ChatGPT and all of these other um, great kind of innovations that have taken place? And that's where I think we should should start is we've got this new AI um, age really kind of presenting itself and it's bringing up a lot of different emotions. And I feel like many of us fit between two kind of emotions, either, you know, terror and, and fear that um, AI is going to somehow disrupt everything and replace everything and nothing is going to be what it seems. And the other ex uh, uh, side is, is, exuberant excitement you know hype buzz about this amazing new technology and what it can offer us and i think for the purposes of today i found the most useful emotion is really curiosity and that's the that's the that's the emotion that i'd like to have throughout this kind of presentation because that curiosity allows us to be open to the opportunities that ai presents but still skeptical enough that we don't just make rush decisions and use AI as a technology to solve absolutely every problem, which it's not going to do. So just to start off with, artificial intelligence is really the simulation of human intelligences by machines. That's really kind of what it means. And that doesn't mean we're not talking AGI, sort of artificial general intelligence generally at this point, which is like, oh, it's basically like a human and it can do all of these things. It's no, like AI can simulate, for example, rational, you know, rationalizing things, summarizing things, writing copy. These are all things that humans used to do um, and still do, but machines are getting better and better. So that's what AI is really talking about. And so it can, these are some of the things that humans do exceptionally well, right? Like we learn, we reason and problem solve. 
we create and invent things. We have this emotional and social intelligence uh, and com communicate. Like that's also the essence of, of language teaching as well, which is why this is such an important word there. And you can already sort of start thinking like, hey, AI can actually do many of these things. Learning, machines can learn, you know. It can reason, it can rationalize. Certainly ChatGPT is able to communicate better. So these are all things that we're starting to see. And so with that, it's sort of, we go, well, hey, look, everything seems to be happening. Is it, when, you know, is this just, why is this all happening since November? What happened before? Um, and actually out of curiosity, just maybe in your own heads, have a think about how long ago you actually think artificial intelligence was first coined. If you were thinking 1970s, 1980s, go back a bit. You know, it's actually 1956 that this was actually starting to be coined and also these ideas to be really started. And it was probably before that, that these kind of concepts were already evolving. So it's a very, it's actually a, a, a long time coming, but it's taken a lot of what we call AI winters and, you know, and, and AI kind of booms for us to finally get to this point. And we're currently in a very much an AI boom period, largely catalyzed by ChatGPT in November last year. But AI as, as well, it's not the first technology people have worried about disrupting everything. This has been the, the case for almost every major technological breakthrough from the birth of electricity, you know, to telephones, threatening call centers, to to cars, you know, uh, replacing the horse and carriage. Like there have been lots of moments in, in history where a technology has offered the possibility of disrupting a society. And the real question right now is, is this time different? Is this time different? Because is it different to how electricity played out? Like electricity took decades for it to be useful enough and common enough to get all the network effects up. The same thing with cars. It took decades for this to happen. Personal computers, again, it took you know, yeah, at least many, many years, if not decades, to really see the, the, the personal computers kind of thrive. And here we are on the, the age of AI and is this time different? And it feels different for a number of reasons. And I think you can see, even just by this small chart here, it kind of gives the, the impression of why this feels such an immediate change. What you can see on that chart is how long it took to get to 100 million users. And ChatGPT did that really within two and a bit months. So totally outstripped even TikTok, which I think was nine months to get to its first 100 million users. And you can kind of just see how, how different that adoption rate is. And that's the big difference is that adoption. And I think there are some key reasons why it's so impressive and why there's been such a flip. So first of all, let's start with some basic ideas. Like there's no new hardware that you've had to install, right? You already had a laptop before ChatGPT existed in November. You went to a website, you asked to sign in, you got in. There's literally almost no friction for you to be able to access the tool. So it's not like a car where you had to like buy something and replace something. It was for free as well, like when you think about it. So that has a major difference in terms of the adaptation, the adoption of this. And there were very few new skills. Like if you could type into the text bar, you could use ChatGPT. And what you got out of it was this incredibly versatile tool 
they could do all of these different types of tasks from summarizing, you know, large bodies of text to save you time to writing copy to both save your time and possibly augment your own skill set to doing vast calculations to making sense of data to doing all of these things. But the second part here is it did it in an almost human way. The communication no longer became this sort of robotic transactional experience and instead felt like you were talking to a human. And that meant that it sort of had nuances with its language. You could kind of throw some information at it in very natural language, which is one of the key kind of technologies that's making this all happen, natural language processing. You can use natural language like, hey, ChatGPT. You can even say things like, you know, hey, ChatGPT, can you, can you do this for me? Like you just couldn't do that with previous chatbots and get the same kind of results. And it's just so remarkably useful what it could do for you as well. As I say, we've talked about all the different types of work that it could do for you. But what's big difference? It's so useful. Like the actual outputs and the results were so impressive that they all sort of made us kind of stop and think and go, wait a minute, I'm paying nothing and I'm saving theoretically an hour, two hours, three hours on this task. Like that is insane value. And I think we're only seeing the sort of this usefulness, the quality of those results improve. And we're seeing that improve really, really quickly. And that's the kind of exciting part. And again, that gives us this impression that is this different? And why is there this sense of acceleration? So again, have a little think to yourself, you know, how often are you using ChatGPT? And interestingly, Corinne, since I can see out of curiosity, are you using it daily? Are you using it weekly? Are you using it monthly? Unmute. There we go. I'm probably using it every couple of weeks. Um, for me, it's a really good resource for um, yeah. research. So interesting. Yeah. So I was so sure you were going to say daily, and so no, no, no. I am. I'm a. Um, <laughs> I'm a traditionalist, and a lot of what I, I do is creating it. content. So people, you know, I I don't want to like, you know, for me it would be a little bit unethical to create content via Chat GPT that people are paying me to create. So um, totally I understand. So I'm just yeah. so there's there's going to be some stuff that I want to kind of show you, and I'm and I, yeah, because you don't have to. I think this. What I loved about that comment there is it shows not that this isn't about you. This is like, I think what so many people are feeling is does this, is this like a black and white situation? I use it or I exactly, don't. Exactly. And it's not. It's yeah, absolutely and, not. No, and that's great because I'm looking forward to that because one of the questions that we'd received or one of the comments that we received was to ask you about like the ethics around chat GPT. So, I love um, that. Well, let's get yeah. into that in the Q&A section. But yeah, absolutely. I, I, I'm, I'm going to figure this out with you just like we all are because I think that's a really interesting conversation. So definitely yeah. uh, let's pin that as one of the first questions. I've, I've got it noted down. So there you Excellent. go. <laughs> so, so I'm using this daily. I'm using it multi-times per day. And one of the reasons I'm so excited about it is I'm not using it for everything. And I'll talk to you about the things I found it good at and things that I haven't found it good at. But one of the things that's really useful is it is a tool and the more you use it, the more you understand it and the more you can get out of it. And it's just as, it, I think it would be doing a discredit to say it's as useful as Excel as or as useful as Google Sheets. It is far more useful than, over, than either of those tools. But again, it requires a bit of getting used to to understand what are the use cases and actually just testing its abilities. So I'm going to talk about that. But one of the reasons I asked this question is, I was really uh, amazed that recently, I think 
that the, there's like a company called Pew Research. It said that only 14% of Americans so far, this is June, had even tried ChatGPT and then, or, or used it slash tried it. And I imagine many people have tried it once and never used it again. And there'll also be many people that use it every now and again, but you know, it, it hasn't really worked for them or they're like, I can just do a lot better and I'm much more efficient. And so I'm not going to use it that, that often. So I just find that really fascinating because for evangelists, which I'm, I'm careful to not be, but also I am very like excited by the technology. It's kind of very curious to me because I'm like, wow. So there's, so 14% of the adult population have used, that means how many, you know, like we're talking 86% haven't even tried it. And it's been in every headline, it's been in every newspaper since November. So I just find that really fascinating. Um, and, and one of the things that I really like from, this is a, a quote from Jeff Bezos. He says that innovation itself is disrupted. So the chat GPT, ignore the technology. The consumer adoption is, so going back to that 40%, are we getting fast enough adoption? I actually think that's probably, while it's while in my head, I suddenly think that we're gonna go from zero to 100 in a very short amount of time, but it shows you already how long it takes for consumer adoption. But you also saw on the previous graph, it's the fastest consumer adoption of any tool up to 100 million users in all of human history. Like, so if you think about ad adoption, it's it is the it's at the very top of its game when it comes to, that. and that's why it presents such disruption to the industry. And so, why should you care? <laughs> Uh, why should you care what's happening in this space? And I'm going to talk a little bit about the different kind of hats because in the language education space, even in marketing, you have to think, um, what does this mean for my school or my company? What does this mean for my teachers? What does this mean for my students? And therefore also, what does this mean for me as a, a marketer or somebody that's involved in the marketing team? But firstly, let me say right now, like, I'm not, humans are terrible at making predictions they always have and so i'm not going to make the same mistake of suggesting that i know the future but i think there's some things that i think are very interesting that help me kind of see a trend and we'll kind of see how that plays out um but yeah let's let's keep again keep that mindset of being curious because we're figuring this out together um one of the things that was very impressive even kind of within months, right? We had ChatGPT launch in November of last year. In March, GPT-4 came about. And you can see here on this chart, just as an example, and an example that's very relevant to us in the education space of how much of an improvement GPT-4 was compared to GPT-3.5. And some of the really impressive ones uh, is like, for example, the bar exam, like the legal bar exam. Because what do we what do we associate with a bar exam? Lots of like rational thought, like extremely good communication, exceptional use of English, um, all of those sorts of things we associate. And you can kind of just see how impressive that was, and just the, even that one exam. And in fact, it's extremely good as well at understanding you know natural language, therefore English. And so it's very good at writing. It's very good at um, understanding content. It's not perfect. But I think where we have to kind of remember is it doesn't need to be perfect to be useful. It needs to be good enough for us to get, like to either save time or get us further ahead or accelerate or improve our productivity for it to be a useful tool. So I think, again, when you put it into, it shouldn't be buckets of like, it's useful or it's not. It's 
it's perfect or it's not. It's like, is it good enough to be useful? So once we have that as a, as a background, what does this mean for schools? So the first thing is, if you're an average teacher, I think this has fundamental concerns for you. Because if you're doing an average job, you're like moderately motivating, moderately interested in language teaching, uh, and you're doing an okay job, like your students are kind of like, yeah, yeah, they're nice. Like, what's the alternative? Well, actually, I could possibly use AI to, to learn a language with. And so I think that kind of represents a real threat to an average teacher because AI is not an exceptional teacher. It doesn't give all of the motivation that a, an amazing teacher does. But if you're a meh teacher, I actually think ChatGPT is a, a much better alternative. It costs you almost nothing. You can do it at any time. And I've had really interesting results with it. I think other areas that are very interesting for AI and language education is standardized testing. So if you saw that chart before, if, if ChatGPT can effectively mimic human intelligence and write better than the average human, uh, can read better than the average human, summarize, understand information better than the average human, anyone that's getting an average mark has a real incentive to use ChatGPT because it can outperform them and therefore augment them. If you're an exceptional writer, this is why you're probably not using it all the time because you're like, the output just is not as good as what I want and it's not exceptional. I'm exceptional and I expect exceptional materials. And so again, it's not a black and white thing. It, it's not trying to replace you, but maybe it can help you do more work for more people. So standardized testing is a really interesting one because if AI is just better at these tools, just like a calculator is better at calculating any number I put in it, I don't go, oh, I just really love arithmetic. I really want to practice my arithmetic, um, so I'm not going to use a calculator. I use a calculator absolutely every time because it's better than me. And I think this is a similar thing that's going to happen with, e with the use of English. Because again, if I don't have to write because ChatGPT can write better and I can understand that, that text and make sense of it, maybe improve it slightly, that's a major leg up for particularly anyone where English isn't their native language and they've had to learn that. So it, may, it puts a lot of pressure um, away from, I would say, written language uh, skills, even reading skills, right? Because I don't even need to be like, oh, I just can't read very fast in Spanish. Don't doesn't matter. All I need to do is chuck that information straight into ChatGPT, and then all I do is read the summary. And now I can even reread the text and find out the good points. I can even ask ChatGPT to find the good points in that group materials. And so again, my reading skills don't actually nearly need to be the same pre and post ChatGPT. Speaking, however, is I think the major thing to be thinking of. And that's why I think speaking has a huge, it was already important for ChatGPT. It's even more important now because the one skill set that even if ChatGPT can do well, we don't like to speak with other robots. We like to speak with other humans and feel like we're corresponding and building relationship with other humans. So speaking, I think, is the number one thing that we should be thinking of. I think also this idea of large groups. If you have very large groups, AI can either be an exceptional tool or a total replacement. If what you're doing is quite honestly, like if I was teaching English the way I'm delivering this presentation, I think that's a really bad way to teach English or to teach any other language. Large group, almost no kind of participation until the end. I'm listening, maybe I'm absorbing stuff. 
if you see groups like these large groups of and at LearnCube, we kind of see a large group anything over eight you're not really getting much interaction in general particularly online that is because you know you need to build up certain skill sets so again if you've got a great teacher large group no problem if you've got an average teacher AI possibly could do a better job at teaching um, these students. It's not going to take over everything, but it's going to do some things exceptionally well. And we're going to be figuring that out over this year and the years ahead. But the AI revolution is 100% underway already. This is not something that's like in the far future. But one thing I would say as well is it's not uh, just like a, a rocket ship. You know, there's a big amount of rumble and kind of things going on before it really starts to blast off. And I feel like we're still... And that kind of figuring out stage and they're, you know, but for early adopters, this thing is well on its way for, for the majority of the population though, there's lots of like emotional and behavioral change that's going to have to happen before we really start seeing this as being totally widely adopted. And I, I'm, I'm almost kind of like, uh, both relieved and kind of amazed as well at like, we obviously have, have some kind of resistance to the use of this technology, and we're seeing very different speeds of its adoption in various different places. So in the language school area, I think we have to kind of think about what does that mean for our positioning? Are we going to, for example, you might even have policies, you know, are we going to be using ChatGPT or are we not? In general, like my policy is no, we, we aren't an AI-generated content service where a human generated content service and so many language schools are going to have to find their kind of their point in the sand and remembering that it doesn't have to be as black and white in that it can be like we use ai only in these areas and we don't use them in these areas for these reasons but that already shows you the kind of thought that really should start going into our language school and its use or non-use of um, of ai technology and ai technology is not just chat gpt by the way it's only one product, actually. Uh, it just happens to be one of the leading products. And I'm going to talk about how I use ChatGPT, and we can kind of talk about how this impacts marketers. Because really, this I, I think it is a tool that really helps marketers, possibly more than any other group at this stage. And I'm kind of curious, as, and I'll be talking about how I've found it, and maybe that'll resonate with you about how it might impact you and your use of uh, marketing your school. And it, again, will will impact teachers, you know, Am I a teacher that will only create their content human generated or like, but let's be honest, like what is what does that actually mean? Does it I don't think a lot of teachers have had any problem picking up free resources off the internet. Why wouldn't you just generate those exercises rather than kind of picking them off the internet in some uh, free library or repository? Or if you pay for them, no problem. But then are we wanting extremely personal lesson materials or do we want the more standardized materials that I have in my back pocket and I know very well? The, the biggest difference right now is generative AI, which means I put in some kind of prompt and it provides me, generates some kind of output. That's the thing that has got extremely good, seemingly extremely fast. And again, November being the kind of start line of ChatGPT being the biggest launch in all of um, product launch in all of human history. Remember though, ChatGPT is one product. There's also Claude and Bard. And let's just have a look at what the user interface looks like. So OpenAI owns a product called ChatGPT. It also owns another image generative um, product called DALI2. But ChatGPT, this is what it looks like. You put a prompt in the bottom 
and outputs whatever it is. Um, the next one is called Claude. It's by Anthropic. It's very similar in its layout. You put in a prompt and it outputs some kind of result for you. Again, all very, very, very similar between those two. I'm also going to talk briefly about Bard since it also is kind of released. You put in a prompt, you ask it something, and it will return some kind of result. So these are like the interfaces and what that looks like. You can see there, it's if you can figure out a text message, you can figure out this technology. So I've kind of gone through like, what are all the different types of marketing tasks that I might use? I've had to use this for LearnCube for my software business. And I just feel like by playing around with it a lot, I've, I've really learned a lot about maybe some of the limitations. I'm just an entrepreneur that happens to do a lot of my own marketing. So the good thing about that for me is I'm using this as a crutch in a way, as an augmentation. What I am good at is reading something, seeing if it kind of makes sense, and then either adapting it or applying it. So you can ask ChatGPT. And, and I have tried these three different services, and I have to say that for most things, ChatGPT is the best tool. It provides the best outputs. It's, it understands language the best, in my view. Uh, I've often done exactly like prompt versus prompt, you know, using Claude, using ChatGPT, using Bard. And so I've really kind of looked at those three and have been like, eh, yeah, okay, ChatGPT. By the way, the difference between free ChatGPT and paid ChatGPT is enormous. Yeah. If you're using it for marketing, please spend the extra $20, $24 a month. It is absolutely worth your time. It yeah. is the difference between higher quality thing um, outputs and also a lot of time saved. So I think yeah. that I feel very strongly about. And I think this is where people get into a real trap because they stick with a free version and wonder why it's not that good. And it's just chalk and cheese yeah. compared to what you can get out of it. But I've also used another AI called Copy. I can't remember, like something like Sonic, something Sonic. Anyway, there's a whole bunch of these like specialist AIs as well. In fact, I tried that. I thought it was not nearly as good as ChatGPT. The thing is, my experience shouldn't be just your experience. I would really encourage you to ask same prompt, these different things, and then you make your own decision and you constantly test it because these companies are not static. Their roadmap and their kind of rate of change is really rapid. So this is an example of marketing strategy. I just asked it as an expert strategist for a virtual classroom software company, focus on the language education market, write a marketing go-to strategy and like output. And again, I asked it to write in bullet points. So I just want to like the meat and you can kind of look at this afterwards. But um, what I would say is like some of, these are some of my prompts. I'm sort of going to be like, I'm mainly just going to be showing you or giving you a taste of what it can do. And it's really up for you to try it. Uh, because then you'll actually have a proper experience rather than just getting the second down information. And again, I'm not an expert in the fact that this is a new technology. We're all as expert as each other in trying to figure this out. This is definitely a moment of borrowing other people's ideas. Like you don't have to be the genius behind prompt engineering. You could just even ask Google initially, but I would always ask ChatGPT if in fact, you actually ask ChatGPT like, hey, ChatGPT, if you're a, as a prompt engineer, how which prompts would you what how would I write prompts better? Like ask ChatGPT to help train you as well. It's a resource just like Google is to help you find the right answer. But this is something that I found really helpful. I would say that if you're good like 
Corinne, this will probably give you, again, fairly generic answers. If you're average, like myself, in terms of I haven't come from like a background of like really great marketing or like working for like great marketing agencies and all sorts of things, it really helps. It really augments me and it really helps me figure out what my gaps are. So I really think this is a, a, a useful resource in that way. But email marketing, I use it religiously. I found it exceptionally good. Why? I'm actually just an average email marketer. Just when I, when I, when I tried it, I would try my own human approach, writing my own email marketing with my own subject lines and with my own uh, body of text. And then you can usually A-B test in most of your email clients. I did the A-B test. And initially I was horrified because without doing anything, ChatGPT was outperforming me. It did a better subject line with better open rates and it had a better copy. However, since that, I figured that when I'm actually reviewing ChatGPT, I always outperform both myself if I do it alone or ChatGPT if I, if I just leave it straight out of the box. ChatGPT often provides very kind of flowery, like overly salesy kind of copy sometimes. So that's the great thing is I review it. I tone down some of its language. I leave some of its kind of buzz, which as a New Zealander, I'm often like, oh, I don't know if I should put that in. I leave that in and it means that I get a better result because I'm using it as an augmentation on my own skill set. These are two of my favorite prompts. So I always suggest, I mean, some people use imagine you are, I use act as an, and then you say what it is because what ChatGPT is already a predictive engine. And if you tell it the context, it will provide a much better output. So one of the big problems is that people's first experience is like, write me a blog. It's like, I didn't know anything until you said blog. But if you said, write, you know, as an expert blog writer, oh, okay, I'm wondering what comes next. Now write me a blog. Now I know what kind of context it is. I'm going to be able to deliver a much better result. So very simple. At the start of any new text, make sure you tell ChatGPT what kind of role you want it to play. This one I found awesome, which is what are three good and bad points about this email? So I'll put in my own natural language email and I'll say, what is the good and the bad? It will kind of output like, hey, these things are great. You know, it's very specific. It's very personal. It's very clear, but it's pretty unexciting. You know, it's unemotional. There's no clear call to action. And then all I say is rewrite using the above feedback. And because it's already critiqued it, the output is just so much better because now it's said, oh, okay, these are the things that needs to change. So I found that really helpful in email marketing. And I think if you're an average email marketer like me, it will turn you into a much better email marketer. And I've noticed that with my open rates and conversion rates for sure. Blog writing. I find it horrific if you ask ChatGPT to write you any blog. However, it's exceptionally good at bullet pointing and brainstorming. So you can ask things like, Give me 10 ideas for different blogs. It will do a great job of that. Give me 10 ideas for a, a blog post on this topic. It will do a great version for you. Write me a 2,000 word at, um, blog post on this. It is terrible at. And yeah. you should never publish that because it's total, it's first of all, totally AI. And I don't think it does anything for SEO. It does nothing for your brand. It's very unlikely to be a consistent voice each time. Don't do it. It will get better, but currently that's my kind of take on it. So I ask again, act as an expert blog writer. I tell it the tone of voice, which is very important when you're writing blogs. So for me and the LearnQ brand, it's like being friendly, professional, and thoughtful. 
uh, but note this context and then and then ask it to write something. And again, you can kind of ask the, the three good points, bad points idea. For content marketing and social media, I found it also, is it perfect at everything? Absolutely. What I, I would never let it just talk on my behalf on any of my professional, uh, certainly not on LinkedIn because it's my personal voice, but probably also not on Facebook or in other things. You never want it out of the box. It is always something that you mold, but it gets you most of the way. I ask it, you're an expert on LinkedIn. I want you to provide advice on how I connect because sometimes in, um, LinkedIn invites is a big thing. And then writing LinkedIn posts, I give it context and I say, write me a post on this. Usually it's okay. There's usually a couple of great sentences in it. I'll take those and I'll match with my own kind of personal flavor. And then I give it back to ChatGPT. And I just, I like, I wrote this because I use it a lot, even for email, for blogs, all the things. I just say, improve it. And it just provides me another version. I could also just ask for another version, but that's a kind of small kind of prompt that I use quite a lot. For SEO, this is not something I've had a lot of experience in. I haven't tried this so much recently. LearnCube has quite good SEO ranking and we haven't really looked at it. I had a bit of a play with it before this presentation. ChatGPT, I didn't think was the best tool for this. Not surprisingly, Bard, Google Bard, was actually able to give me, I'm, I, I have to check if these are accurate, but I was, none of the other um, tools like ChatGPT or Anthropic, they are trained on data up to 2021. So it can't provide any real-time information. It looks like Bard can, which kind of makes sense because it's made by Google and it has all the access to you know, website traffic. So I thought it was awesome. I sent through these, these are my kind of favorite prompts. I want to expand my network keyword. You know, can you provide long tail variations? It gave me a list. And look, it, you, you can be quite lazy with it. Once it provides you 10, just write another 10 and it will do another 10 for you. And you can keep on saying another 10, another 10, another 10 until you're tired because the AI won't get tired. And then this one was like, imagine you're a competitor. What type of strategy would you use to adopt me in search ring? But the other one that I used for Bard was just simply provide me a list of keywords for this topic and provide me the, the the likely search results because traffic is of course a big deal. And so that saved me a lot of time because I, I don't really like, you know, you can use the Google tools, but I actually found this was, it gave me what I wanted and gave me a comparison so I could kind of dig, dig deeper in any of these. So great tools. And then there's a lot more that we could kind of go into, but then it comes into imagery. And I've just recently done a... Uh, episode for both our LearnCube YouTube channel. It won't be released for another month or so. And same for our podcast, Get More Students. But I did a podcast with a friend of mine, Rob, and we really talked about image generation. Uh, Midjourney is the the tool I do think is the best tool at this current point. I tried Dali too, particularly at the start. Very average results. But Midjourney is, I mean, it's bananas. It really is. Um, these are some of my my favorite prompts. So the image you're seeing right there is absolutely 100% fake. Like there's nothing real about that. And that's the kind of image we're able to generate now on Midjourney. And two different prompts I want you to kind of notice, photorealistic, and then this idea, subtle orange and blue accents, right? So LearnCube's brand, blue and orange. If you didn't get the memo, that's what the branding is, right? And you can see that he's wearing an orange shirt. He's wearing nice blue things. So now you've got the ability to have a consistent brand story for every image that you deliver. And it can be photorealistic, 
believable. And finally, something that feels more genuine. So I haven't even touched how good this is going to be eventually. Like I'm new. I'm a newbie when it comes to this technology, but I can imagine we're going to get really good at getting exactly what we want out of this. So it's really a co-pilot is what was my kind of um, takeaway. It's a co-pilot, not a substitute. It will augment your skills. If you see it as a threat, I think it will be because you'll be left behind. In marketing, this is a tool that massively can improve your productivity. I personally don't have an issue with it, but I'm very interested in our conversation about ethics. I think that's one that we should have a conversation on. Um, but remember, it has big limits. You know, uh, on a, on a text-based perspective, ChatGPT, Claude, they are both based on training data that is old, that is not a real-time service. Be aware of that. There's lots of other limitations that come with that. There are biases, there are hallucinations, there are is inaccurate information. There's a whole world of other things that may be limitations of that. But that's your point as a human to make sure that you're not falling and you're not kind of getting trapped by some of these limitations. So stay curious and lean in is my biggest advice. And that means try it and use it as much as you can, because just like any other skill, you will get better at it and it will be a better servant of yours in the future. And that's me. Um, I talk a little bit about a framework. We, we provide a, a product development framework in our new book called Langtech. You can email me at hello at langtechbook.org. And if you're interested in AI as well, I write about it on our blog, blog.learncube.com. Thanks very much and see you next time.